Don't panic. I am not preaching today. Do not panic. <laughs> Praise the Lord for that. I was asked by Zach um, earlier this week um, if I would read uh, the sermon message title today and, and do the scriptures. And to be honest, I am a nervous wreck. There's a lot of you people out there. Um, but anyway, this weird little kid come up in youth group. Uh, he's still weird. Uh, but you grow to see their heart. You grow to see their life, and you watch them come full circle. And now he is preaching God's word. Uh, what a blessing that is for youth leaders, for children's workers, to be able to see their commitment, their time come full circle and have this young man dedicating his life to the Lord, uh, to spreading God's word, to doing a church plant, to planting the seed. What, a, what an awesome, awesome thing that is to see. Let's all stand. Turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 11. Ecclesiastes chapter 11. As we read God's word, follow along as we start. Ship your grain across the sea. After many days, you may receive a return. Invest in seven ventures, yes, in eight. You do not know what disaster may come upon the land. If clouds are full of water, they pour out rain on the earth. Whether a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where it falls, there it will lie. Whoever watches the wind will not plant. Whoever looks at the clouds will not reap. As you do not know the path of the wind or how the body is formed in a mother's womb, so you cannot understand the work of God, the maker of all things. Sow your seed in the morning, and at evening let your hands not be idle, for you do not know which will succeed, whether this or that, or whether both will do equally well. Light is sweet, and it pleases the eyes to see the sun. However many years anyone may live, let them enjoy them all, but let them remember the days of darkness, for they will be many. Everything to come is meaningless. You who are young, be happy while you are young. Let your heart give you joy in the days of your youth. Follow the ways of your heart in whatever your eyes see, but know that for all things, God will bring you into judgment. So then banish anxiety from your heart and cast off the troubles of your body, for youth and vigor are meaningless. Thank you, you may be seated. All right, thank you, Wayne. My son is going to come today and preach. I didn't tell you about that, but for some months we had him on the schedule. Zach is doing a replant church at Griffith Baptist in Winston-Salem, kind of to the south side of Peters Creek and Silas Creek, right there in that section. And uh, for about five years now, he's been seeking God's direction about how God would use him, what he wanted to do, and where the call of God was going to be on his life. And so he settled on replanting, where he'd go into churches that are dying and revitalize them and try to build them up. And so he's going to tell you a little bit about that, and then he's going to preach today. And I'm excited about having him here today. Um, you know, I believe it's important in life to say things while people can hear them. And I feel that in my heart for him. When I started as lead pastor at my first church, my parents had passed away by then. And so there was no one to speak into my life. And so I want to do this before he preaches today. I just want to pray a prayer blessing over him and dedication for his life in front of you all. And I want you to hear that because I'm very proud of him and I love him. And uh, you all know who have children, the bond between a 
parent and a child is eternal and unbreakable. And so with that, it's a privilege to be able to have him in my life. And I'm so grateful for that. I'm grateful for his wife, Morgan, and their three children. And I want a few more from them as well. But I am so thankful for what God has blessed me with. And so, Zach, I'd just like to pray over you and bless you and ask God's hand over your life. I love you. God, I love you. And I pray a special anointing over my son all the days of his life. Oh God, I pray right now before these people that the word of God would be like fire in his mouth. And he would speak to the next generation and set them on fire. And God, I pray that over him right now, wherever his feet trod, give it to him. I pray, Lord, for his ministry, because I know he's going to minister from the heart. And God, I pray your blessing over that. And now, Lord, I just ask that, God, you'd overshadow him all the days of his life. Give him a command of the scriptures and give him the ability to speak into people's lives with life and a life that will resonate in them for eternity. And so, God, I pray that over his life right now, and I ask it in the name of Jesus, in Jesus' name, amen. I love you. I thought that'd be easier the second time. Um, man, I have, I have so much I'd, I'd like to say. Um, you know, Tried brings many good memories uh, to my mind. Uh, I still think, Dad, some of your best sermons were of Elisha and Elijah and that passing on of blessing. Thank you. Uh, and then Wayne, thanks for reading. I called Wayne and said, hey, Wayne, read the scripture for me. Uh, Wayne was, um, I mean... My dad, Wayne, might have been my second dad. Oh, there he is. Um, I spent many hours in a truck with Wayne, mowing grass and uh, doing lots of stuff. I appreciate his input and his uh, yeah, thoughtfulness into my life. So uh, I have a lot I want to say. I don't have time. So we're going to jump right in because I think the best thing for us today is to get into God's Word. Um, so what I'd like to do, I'd like to start off by explaining you what I'm doing. Uh, you may have heard of planting a church. You may have heard of revitalizing church, but have you heard of replanting a church, right? Let's take those two things and com combine them together. And so uh, let me kind of first off give you our calling. Um, three years ago, three or four years ago, me and Morgan uh, moved to Roanoke, Virginia. We started something, uh, an internship for church planning with the Bonhoeffer House. It's an a, a internship that follows the model of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, um, where we follow after the hammer, the quill, and the house. And so we get our theological formation through Southeastern Seminary as an equip center, and then we have apprenticeships where we swing the hammer, and we watch another pastor swing the hammer, and then we swing the hammer, and then they tell us, don't swing the hammer like that, swing it like this. And so we, we work together, and then we have house where we do it together in a, a community. We don't all live in the same house, like 
Bonhoeffer did, but we, we do it that way. And so we did that for three years. Uh, we left Roanoke thinking that from Roanoke we would be sent off to the Bay Area of San Francisco. Uh, we were looking at a little city called Concord, uh, spelled as Concord, but it's Concord, California, and we were looking to church plant there. Um, and we went out, visited people, visited church plants and uh, people with NAM and things like that. And we got to Roanoke, we started talking with people, thinking about things happening. God was opening doors, doing things, moving us along, and we kind of said with our family where we're at, God was shutting that door. We didn't feel like that was God's call for our life at this time. Maybe one day it will be there, but for right now, that's not it. And so we decided to wait, right? Everybody's favorite thing to do. So we waited, and we waited, and we talked with people in the community to help us out, give us guidance, and talk to my dad and family members and things like this. And um, within that waiting, we began to ask questions about our purpose. And, and within that, that questioning, we started, I, I couldn't get this thought out of my head about God's glory and the future of the church. Because I believe that in 20 years, the church is going to look different than it did today, than it does today. And I couldn't get the thought out of my head about what does a dying church say about the glory of God? What does a dying church say about the glory of God? In fact, if we were to think about church planting and even what, what Toby did, I, I think Toby in many ways did a replant, but he, what I would call a replant through legacy, a legacy replant. And so what my goal is to do a replant through fostering where we partner with churches and we take the, the, the system that's already there, the church and the people there at that church, we keep the name and then we replant from there, restructure it, okay? And so... But when we think of church planting and even what Toby did and what some of the other churches are going out from Trident are doing, man, like we can all agree, like to the glory of God, his kingdom is being built, right? Church is, churches are growing, people are getting saved, people are being baptized, like amen, right? We're all, we're all on, on, on board with that, I hope, okay? But when a church in a community closes its doors, it says something to the community. It says something to the people who have driven past that church day in and day out, who've lived in that community for decades. And when that church closes its doors, it says something along the lines of that God's glory must not be that important. God must not be that big, or at least he's not important in my life. But when a dying church wants to live, and when a dying church will grit their teeth, plant their feet, and till the soil, that also says something to a community. Community. It says something that a church plant from the ground up can't say, but it also reclaims the loss of glory for God that a dying church does say. And so, with that, me and my wife, we felt like this is what God's called us to do, to replant dying churches. Every church has a life cycle, right? Revelation teaches us this. Ephesus had their first love, and what did they do with it? God took away their candle stand, and, and they... They lost it. Church plants are desperately needed in North America, but they're not keeping up with the current growth in the North America. And so I'm hoping that replanting is a form of bringing that back. 70, 80% of churches are declining or plateauing. Only 15% of churches in North America are considered healthy and growing. 15%. And so we saw the Bonhoeffer House as a way to partner with churches to finish my education and to be sent off from there and to have to really reach Southside with the gospel. And so I hope, I hope you'll, you'll kind of consider that as I talk about it. Let, let me explain this real quick. What is a replant? Guys, show that first slide, this graph. I want to show you this. If you look at the graph, you can kind of see real quickly that uh, this is the life of a church. 
This is the life of the church. And if you notice, there's, there's typical uh, downward spirals. There's, it kind of goes level for a bit. They might try to do something, goes up, and then it drops again. Show that first arrow. That first arrow could be a pastor who leaves, right? He leaves the church, and a lot of people like them, so they lose 30 or 40 people in one week, right? And then the next arrow could be an immoral fail, failure within the pastor or, or something along these lines, and then another people left. And then, and then the next arrow could be a failed merger with another healthy church. And this is exactly where Griffith Baptist Church was. Two years ago, they tried to merge with a healthy church plant when they had about 60 people left. And when that church merger failed, all the young people of those 60 left, and what was left remaining at Griffith were about 25 to 30 uh, elderly people, all in the average age of 70 to 80 years old. Right? And the guy showed that last arrow, and, and this is me. <laughs> this is where I come in. And so what are we doing at Griffith, right? The ch- what I love about this church is this church lives in the community. They went to Parkland High School. It's amazing. 80% of the people in my church, either kids went to Parkland or they went to Parkland, and they stayed in the community. When a community changes, most of the time people leave and they go find a better place where there's less crime or less, <laughs> there's less things that they don't like. But my people stayed. Most of my people in my church live within a mile of my church, and they love Parkland High School. And I said, I can work with that. That's all I need. And so here's what we're doing. We, we, let me give you my, my four points. Here's our vision. Um, we want to be a beautiful family, invited to the table, committed to the growth of the entire person, physical and spiritual, into the image of Christ. We use family language very heavily. In fact, our members class is called the table because everybody's invited to the table to, to freely partake, but to also give generously. This is the beauty of the church. It's a mystery, the Bible says. And so here's, here's the, the four things we're doing. First off, we congregate around the word. We're sharing in the richness of the gospel, Sunday in, Sunday out, through teaching and worship. We create, number two, we create disciples, followers of Christ, living and sharing life together using our gifts and interests in the church and for the world. And then third, we are cultivating the community soil, walking ahead of the community. The people in my church live in the same community as Parkland. We want to bless Parkland. I met with Principal Keener. She's a new principal at Parkland High School. She's hired 60 new people just this year because of the turnover rate at Parkland High School. And she's got to train all these people. And so we want to come beside her and bless her in that. And then fourthly, we, are commission, we commission the saints. We send out others to proclaim Christ to a lost and dying world. We're actually doing our first replant. So we're a replant. We're replanting Cristo Vive Baptist Church in Watown, North Carolina. It's a Hispanic, Spanish-speaking uh, church. The, the pastor was going to our church, and he was going to start a Spanish ministry, but I don't have time to go into that, but uh, that church called him, and so we sent him out, and he, we're partnering together with Cristo Vive. I'm really excited about that. We just hired Jonathan Edwards, he, uh, not the theologian. Uh, Jonathan Edwards, he is a 24-year-old worship leader, and he is amazing. He's, gonna, he's, gonna, he's, gonna change, he's changing everything. It's so good. I told him, I said, we got to sing one hymn a Sunday, and everything else, like, you, like we'll, we'll do it. And the old people, they love the hymns, and so we stick to the hymns sometimes. Um, we just added Daniel Laramore. We're working in that process. Not a stranger to a lot of you. Daniel grew up in this church. Me and him, he was one year above me. He went to East Forsyth High School, and we went to youth group together, and he's coming and partnering on with us to do family ministry and uh, community outreach. And then Wendy and Daryl Fulp, they just jumped on board and became a member. 
They were sent out by Triad with their blessing to leave and go there. And I can't tell you how much of an encouragement they've been to me. Listen, we, here's, here's where we're going. We can use you. <laughs> we can use you to till the soil, to serve in our kids' ministry, to help out with projects around the church, whether it's painting or working on the parking lot. If you play the drums, who's that guy? I need his number. I don't, I'm talking to you after the service. We need a drummer. We need a drummer. We need somebody to help greet people when they come. We need to go on prayer walks through the parks, get to know our community. We need to get active in Parkland High School and Griffith Elementary School. I, first off, I asked if Mr. Tim would come with me, and he said no. And then I asked Jeremy, and he said no. And then I asked my dad, he was third, and uh, he said no too. But you might be fourth, so I'm asking you. With the blessing of Triad Baptist Church, I'm inviting you to leave. If you just joined, you can come to my class. It's better, right? And I'm just kidding. You can, you can leave, and with the blessing of Triad and its leadership, come and help us, whether for a season or for a long period of time, whatever you want to do. And then here's the other thing we're doing. We're loving the people of Griffith. We're loving the people. We found a church who has been really hurt, who felt left behind because... Because people left for good reasons, but like, you know, when you have an elderly church and all the young people leave, like, it's, just, it's hard. Um, but we have, we have people, we have found a church who want to bring renewal back. I have this lady, her name is Miss Shirley. She came to me, she said, Zach, I don't know all these new songs you're singing, but if you will make me a CD, I will try my best to learn. That's the spirit I need. The people in that church are not a hindrance to the ministry. They are the ministry. Ministry's always been about people, young and old. So I hope you will pray for the Deckers as we do just that till we see kingdom impact in Southside of Winston-Salem. So I need, you to, I need you to love Winston. I need you to love Southside. And if you love Jesus, come on. Come on, okay? So here's what I want to do. Uh, I'm probably going to go over in time. I went over in last service. I'll be faster. I'll, I'll, I'll work on this. I want to invite you to Griffith real quick. Watch this video. Jesus tells this story uh, in the Gospel of Luke. It's a parable. And in this parable, there's this owner of a vineyard. And the owner walks around and he looks at his plants and he inspects them to see which ones are producing fruit, which ones aren't. And he comes upon one and he, he realizes that it's lacking and it doesn't have any fruit on it to bear and he looks at the vine dresser the, the keeper of the vineyard and he says cut this tree down but the vine dresser says wait wait not yet there might still be some life in that tree yet let me do the work I can't help but think that this is the story of the church how many churches Jesus walks by and he says they are not producing fruit. And sometimes if you were to come to these churches, you might even say, maybe there's a good reason for that. Whether it's going past the outdated rooms with old paintings and murals on the wall of a white Jesus smiling. Maybe it's the cluttered closets and hallways, and the old stained glass murals and, and the little whispers of days gone by. I believe that God's called Morgan and I to be vine dressers, to till the soil, to work the ground, 
to get our hands dirty and to say there's life here and the gospel can go forward. But Griffith Baptist Church needs vine dressers. It's not there yet. Our prayer is we hope that this church makes a comeback. A church in the community for the community. In 1956, Griffith Baptist Church planted a flag on the corner of Ardmore and Old Salisbury Road and they said, for the glory of God, may Christ be known. So here we are almost 70 years later and we are planting another flag. Not with a new name, not with a new church, not with a reconstruction, but a church who said we are willing to get our hands dirty, to till the soil. By God's grace, we'll see one more flag planted and hopefully for years to come, Griffith Baptist Church will be a gospel-centered church in this community for this community. Call it a comeback, I call it a replant. By God's grace, this church will thrive again. We could use some better narrators too. So if you want to help us with the narration, we can do that as well. I don't, I don't like my voice per se, but we'll keep going. All right, so we need to get into the, the passage. Um, and I was 1135? 1135? Yeah. Okay. Uh, so anyways, be a vine dresser. Me and Morgan, our wife, we've committed to be vine dressers. Come be vine dressers with us. Okay, let's till the soil. All right, let's get into the book of Ecclesiastes. I feel like this book, this chapter is just helpful. It's kind of what I am doing right now, and I want to call you into it. Uh, Ecclesiastes is a beautifully poetic masterpiece from the wisdom of the wisest man that ever lived, but it's also, from Ecclesiastes' perspective, someone who has walked the stages of life. He is seasoned in his life. He knows the ups and downs that come with it. In many ways, this book, particularly chapter 11, reminds me of one of my favorite artists, Macklemore. I'll, I'll keep, I'm going to keep going. His songs, if you, if you know Macklemore, his songs, I think, really push you to think deeply. Now, I can't condone him, but whether it's his song, Glorious, I love that one, or Good Old Days, right? I wish somebody would have told me, babe, someday these will be the good old days. You'll miss the magic of these good old days, reminding us that if you're not careful, you'll, you'll, you'll wish for the good old days, not realizing that today is the good old days. So it's a beautiful song. Even his latest song speaks to this desire for life. Uh, it says, there's no need to cry for me. I'm a fighter, fighter. You can't take my voice from me. I will rise up, rise up. So what are you waiting for? I ain't ready to die yet. The pain is where faith is born. Are you alive yet? Ecclesiastes 11 speaks of this call to live life to the fullest. Live life to the fullest. Chapter 11 charges the believer to live a life of YOLO. YOLO. You only live once. That's what it stands for. If you don't know what it means or you never used it, you need to ask Ryan Bustle or Evan White or Matt Mueller or Evan Morgan, right? These guys were in my youth group, and every time we go swimming, before they jump off the diving board, they'd go run and they'd yell, YOLO, and they'd do a belly flop because you only live once, right? Or whether it was running into a horde of zombies in Call of Duty, right? YOLO, I can't tell you how many times I saved those guys' tail in Call of Duty zombies. It's not even funny. Um, YOLO. Is YOLO hollow? That's the question of the day. You only live once. The preacher tells, the preacher is, is who the, the speaker is here in Ecclesiastes, and the preacher tells the people to be sensible. Be the kind of people that don't need a warning sign for a cup of coffee. <laughs> you know, he invites us to be an enterprising people, to do something with our lives. In fact, he summons us to be bold, and from chapters 11 and 12, it goes like this. Be bold, be happy, be warned, and be godly. Those are the last two chapters of Ecclesiastes in a nutshell. And even toward the end of chapter 12, 12, you know what he says? 
don't read too many books, <laughs> right? Some of you guys are like, I, I, I'm in school, I read too many books. He actually says, don't read too many books. Why? Because there will always be another book. You'll never get to the end of the book reading you need to accomplish in life. So what he does is he challenges us to seize the moment. Time is running out and you don't have enough of it. If we are to be sensible people, if you don't know who Macklemore is, maybe you know who Jimmy Durante is, and Jimmy Durante says this, you've got to give a little, take a little, let your poor heart break a little. That's the story of, that's the glory of love. So if you don't know who Macklemore is, maybe you know who Jimmy Durante is. Anyways. So here in Ecclesiastes 11, the preacher says that's also the story of life itself. That's the story of life itself. So here's, here's my first point. Verse 1 tells us, go for it. Go for it. Today's culture, that's no stranger to our mentality. This idea permeates anyone who wants to get ahead in life. They must take their shot and go for it. Even our comedy in today's culture talks about going for it. Guys, show that picture up there. I, everybody likes, well, not everybody, but you might like The Office, and this is what you know, Michael Scott tells you. This is the advice he gives to you. Also, Wayne Gretzky. Michael Jordan said this, I realized that if I was going to achieve anything in life, I had to be aggressive. I had to get out there and go for it. And the preacher gives the same advice here in Ecclesiastes, but it's a little odd. He says, cast your bread upon the water. Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. How many of you take your kids or grandkids right to the pond and you feed the ducks? You cast the bread on the water. Do any of you expect that bread to be there when you go back? It'd be ridiculous, wouldn't it? Like, who's going to do that? Who's going to expect that? But this is exactly what the writer's saying. When you and I are ready to take whatever talent, gift, resource that God has given us, entrusted to us, and we throw it out on the water of life, just watch and see what he'll return, even if it sounds crazy, right? The promise of God's word is that it will return per God's design. He will be able to do with you what he intended to do but you've got to cast your bread. You've got to cast your bread. Another way to say it is you will never see your investment if there is no investment made. What you put into the river of life is what you get out of it. Simply put, there is a risk in everything you do, so it's better to, than to hug onto your resources and to throw them out into the water of life. Jesus practices this, doesn't he? He finds the disciples, and they're in a boat, and he says, what are you doing floundering around here? Go fish. Get in the boats. Go get the fish. Get out of here, guys. Go do something. He challenges them. Verse 1 is a call to Christian resourcefulness. What are the resources you have? It's a call for you to get out there and go do it. He does this with the parable of the talents, right? He gives one guy five, one guy two, and one guy one. And each guy gets to go and do with it as he pleases. The guy with the five, he multiplies it. The guy with the two, he multiplies it. But the guy with the one, what's he do? He buries it. And Jesus comes to him and says, you, you don't want to be doing that. You don't want to be doing that. You can give your money to the poor. What do you expect in return? Anything? 50% return on your investment? Listen, I, if I give you a dollar, just 20 cents back, and we'll call it a day, right? I'll give you this dollar and 20. That's all he asks. But you know what Proverbs 19, 17 says? Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord and he will repay him for his deed? You say, that makes no sense. We logically think through giving to the poor, don't we? 
but we never think that I'm giving to the Lord. In some way, there is an investment in giving to the poor, casting out our water, or our bread onto the water. You can tell someone that you see, right, of the goodness of God. Read a psalm to them. Talk of the kindness of Christ that he offers us, even in our mistakes. The person can listen with dissonance, ignore us, put their headphones on, walk away, and never think of it again. But perhaps the very next day, that person hears that exact same psalm that you spoke to them. And somebody else tries to explain it, talking of the goodness and kindness of Christ. And before you know it, they begin to see God working. They begin to see God working. So what's he do? He says, cast out your bread. See if it will return back to you. Verse 1, go for it. Verse 2, diversify. Verse 1, go for it. Verse 2, diversify. Give portions to seven, yet to eight. You do not know which one is going to work best. So be creative. Try different options. An investing way we say this is don't put all your eggs in one basket, right? We tell people that. It's a good investment practice. And what he's saying is you should see variety as opportunity. See variety as opportunity. How will you share your faith? Just think about that in simple terms. What does Paul do in 1 Corinthians 9? I've made myself a servant. I'm free, but I've made myself a servant to all. To the Jew, I became as a Jew. To the one without the law, I became as one without the law. To the one under the law, I became as him. To the weak, I became the weak. Why? That I might gain some. It's ridiculous to think about that you would do all that to just gain one person. But Paul does this. He diversifies himself. Hopefully this, this, this illustration helps out. Um, how many of you are planting virtual tomatoes on Facebook? Anybody? Does anybody remember when you used to be invited to Farmville all the time and someone said, hey, come plant a tomato with me? I kept saying, like, I don't, go plant a real tomato, please, and then maybe I'll plant a virtual tomato with you. Why would I plant a virtual tomato on Farmville with you? Stop inviting me to plant tomatoes on Facebook. I'm tired of it. Listen, some of you stick so close to your style, your look, your views, your opinions, that you only preach to the choir with your message. You push the same people and the same political agendas. You aren't even listening to anyone because you won't diversify yourself enough to know. Your endeavors, or whatever social media platform you choose to use, spend your time falling on deaf ears. You are planting virtual tomatoes. Do you diversify your life enough to reach lots of people? Or are you so politically polarized where you spend more time on a political party than you do an eternal kingdom? I need an amen right there. Maybe you're not with me. Let's go. What are you going to do with what you have been given? Do you diversify yourself enough to do it? So verse 1, 2, uh, go for it, diversify. Verse 6, stick with it. I'm going to jump down to verse 6 because they're kind of tied together. Stick with it. What's it say? He sows your seed in the morning, and at the evening let not your hands be idle. The preacher here sets up a stages of life. So in the morning you're a young child, right? In the afternoon you might be, you know, 20, 30, 30. I'm like, I'm, I'm kind of mid-afternoon somewhere around there, right? And then if you're older in life, you're in the afternoon stages of your life. And so he, he uses this example, and he says, wherever your life's at, don't be idle with your hands. Do something. Be creative. So whatever stage of your life, launch out and stick with it, is what he says. When you're old, you're going to be told to, to conform to certain expectations, right? Your son's going to come to you and say, Dad, put your blanket over your knees. Take your bath chair and sit on it, right? Let's go to the mall. I'll, I'll wheel you around in the wheelchair. 
And the dad's going to say, no, I want to jump out of airplanes. Dad, you can barely walk down the stairs. Doesn't matter, I'm jumping out of airplanes. Right? You're not going to jump out of airplanes if you didn't jump out of airplanes when you were younger. Maybe, maybe you should do that, right? That, that could be your bucket list. So the preacher says, don't let your hands be idle now because however you live now is how you'll live in the future. In fact, when you retire, you think that's when I'll pick up that hobby, right? Or I'll take that art class or I'll be able to do everything I want to do. But at that moment, you'll keep going down the same path you've always been going because the kind of person we will be in our old age is largely determined by the kind of person that we are now. So whatever you decide to do now, stick with it, go for it, diversify, okay? Verses one, two, and six. Verses three and four, this is about inevitability, inevitability. When the clouds are full of water, here's what the preacher says, don't allow the inevitability of things to stop initiative or endeavor. If you see rain clouds, don't give up on the day, go get an umbrella <laughs> and get out there. Don't miss the adventures of life. Are you, here's a question, are you an adventuresome person? Are you an adventuresome person? Is, is your life in any way an adventure of all? Do your kids think that mom and dad are on an adventure with them? Do you have friends who love to go places with you? Do those around you say that this guy makes the uh, ordinary become extraordinary? The routine takes on significance. Do you mow your yard for the stripes or do you mow your yard for the adventure? I got a picture of a mower. I'll put that up there real quick. I have no idea how old this mower is, but this was the mower that I remember playing in the yard with my dad. It's an old one. Uh, when we first got here to try it, we actually still had this mower. I was in fifth grade. Joe Joyner came over to our house, and he said, this thing's an antique. I still remember Joe saying that. I remember when I was five years old, uh, my dad would make paths in the yard, and I would be on an adventure. I thought I was Indiana Jones, like going through the mountains and the jungles and like going down the path, and I'd, I'd let him get way far away, make a crazy path through the yard, and I'd have to run and dodge stuff that was imaginary, you know? And eventually I got to where I knew where he was coming, so I'd lay down in front of the mower. And, and I'd, I'd, I'd act like I was, uh, you know, strapped up with ropes, and I'd break free right at the last moment. I'd run away, right? And then mom found out. But, but I did it for as long as I could. Because for, for me, mowing the yard was an adventure. It wasn't about the stripes or the manicured. It was an adventure. I loved it. This guy, the speaker says, this guy makes spreadsheets look like a puzzle. <laughs> Does inevitability mark your life? Or are you like this writer who says, it looks like rain. Oh, look, look, the tree fell. It will probably be there for a while. Hmm, yes. That will be a nice log one day. I'll just sit here, watch the rain watch the logs, become a log. If you let boring things stay boring, you'll never change anything. Don't let boring stay boring. This is what he's saying, inevitability. And in verse four, okay, so inevitability. And then secondly, uh, he says, um, verse four, verse four, he who observes the wind will not sow. The farmer who sits saying, you know what? I think it's terribly windy. I'm not gonna cast out my seed. If you're like that, you'll never have a harvest. You'll never have a hardest. You'll never find the perfect time or moment. Brutus says this to Cassius in, in the play Julius Caesar. There is a tide in the affairs of men which, taken at the flood, leads on to greatness. But if you miss the tide, you're going to be paddling out there for a long time, waiting for the next wave. Cast out your seed now. 
If you and I continue to sit, waiting, watching, wondering, analyzing, doing the pros, the cons, the ups, the downs, you will be there until the day you die. We recently held soccer nights at our church. It was a soccer clinic for kids. We just kind of get to know the community, and the kids would come, and we did on t- uh, the second night. It was a Wednesday night, and uh, it's, it looked like it was going to rain, and I had friends coming from uh, North Davidson, the Union Grove area to help me out. I had friends coming from the north side of town, all to come to, to Griffith Elementary School so we could host soccer nights for kids and, and kind of get to know the neighborhood. And the weather channel was saying it was going to rain. You could, you could look out, you could see the clouds, and my friend called me and said, hey man, are we still doing this? It looks like rain. I said, dude, come on, we're doing it. Well, about that time, I got a text from a lady in my church, and she included three other ladies in the group text. Bad idea. All right, but anyway, so she, she, grew, she, she included all three ladies, and they started talking about whether they should come and cut bananas and oranges for us to feed to the kids. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. They're like, are we doing this? Are we doing this not? I got more weather updates from them than the Weather Channel, right? I mean, they were just like, pa 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 it's, it's raining here. It's raining there. If we would have canceled, we would have missed out on the opportunity to reach kids in that neighborhood and to know those families by name. It's more than just an email address or reaching out. I can look at them and I can know them. My wife ran into one at, uh, our boys started doing um, karate, taekwondo. And, uh, and, and one of them was there. And they're like, you're the snack lady. And they called him. I ran into another one at Walmart from, from the Republic of Georgia. And we started talking and talking about like how like we invited them to church and stuff and all that. But anyway, but if we didn't do it, if we would have waited and we saw the rain clouds and stopped, we'd have lost our opportunity. Ephesians 5.16 says, making the most of every opportunity. Make the most of every, every opportunity. Theodore Roosevelt, do what you can where you are with what you have. So inevitability, uncertainty, and then verse 5 is mystery. I'm going to go a little faster here. Um, if you know enough to proceed, proceed. You don't know how, how we know more than Solomon knew about baby, babies, how they're formed, but we don't, we don't know how the spirit works in that in, endeavor, like what he does to bring life to that. And he said, if you know enough, do it. Catherine uh, Booth, she was the uh, founder, the granddaughter of the founder of the Salvation Army. She was 103, and the BBC interviewed her. And she said, you know, uh, BBC said, you know, Miss Booth, haven't you discovered in the course of your life that there are a lot of things you just don't understand and you can't explain? You know what she replied? She said, there are mysteries that we will never know the answer to, but even so, you can enjoy life. 103, you can enjoy life. Does our culture see us wading through life without purpose, just getting by, getting through, just waiting for it to get over? Or can they see us enjoying life? And this is our next point, verse 7 and 8. Enjoy, enjoy. Verse 8, if a person lives, let him rejoice. I never like it when a waiter comes and brings me a salad, and she says, enjoy. I didn't get the salad to enjoy, okay? I was wanting a steak, but my doctor said, and I'm trying to you know, eat healthy, so I got a salad. I'm not going to enjoy this. Maybe some of you enjoy salad. That's weird, but you can enjoy it. How many of you have your friends come from out of town, right? And you say, oh, there's this such and such restaurant. They got the best salads. Nobody does that, all right? That's just weird. You go to the steak restaurant, you get a steak or you get the best burger or whatever it is, okay? Let's, we'll keep moving. And then verse 7, he says, look at the sun. Look at the sun. When you go to bed to sleep, you may long for sleep because you're tired, but you long for sleep because the next day's coming. And the sun's coming up. And you, the sun is what gives us life right? It's simple things that we enjoy in life, right? That bring sweetness. And he's saying the sun brings sweetness, like a fresh tomato from the garden, right? Or a real garden, right? Or golden honey. I remember when my, my kids were born, I loved to feel the back of their necks. This is one of the first newborn babies. I, that was one of my favorite parts. Um, 
Or like with your basketball fan, right? If you shoot that three and you shoot it and it's just like the form was right, everything was right, and it's just, you know, before you release it, you're just like, all right, yeah, okay. You got it. It's a sweet moment, isn't it? You know, no, no one's Steph Curry, but like you, you think you are. Um, or maybe you're a baseball fan, that crack of the bat, right? And you, you just hear the sound and you know it's a home run. Those are the sweet moments in life. Or a morning cup of coffee. And this is what the, the, the songwriter says, right? I see skies of blue, red roses too. I see them bloom for me and you. And I think to myself, what a wonderful world. This world, for all its dreariness and upheaval, is wonderful. And this is what the writer of Ecclesiastes calls us to do. He said, he, Ecclesiastes 3.11, he says, God has set eternity in our hearts. We know that this life's temporal. It's not eternal. But we can still enjoy it, knowing that there's life to come. Okay, let's, we got to keep going. Okay, I'm, I'm close with this. Verse 9, be happy. Why should you be happy? Here's what's interesting. He says this to the young man. The young man. He's actually talking to young people here. Be happy while you're young. Enjoy it. Let your days be filled with falling after the ways of your heart. It's an odd statement from a book that says your heart's deceitful, right? Who can trust it? But here, the preacher says, enjoy life, young man. Follow after your heart. And within the framework of what God writes, according to chapter 12, enjoy it to its fullest. Everything it offers you, enjoy. How many of you tell your sons or your grandsons to pursue happiness? They should. They should. The preacher says happiness, though, is, is to know the Savior, and happiness is of the Lord. Of all the people on the face of the earth, believers should be the happiest. We should be able to, to go to the opera and enjoy it better than anybody else, to watch a great movie for its redemptive and climactic nature. Enjoy art more than anyone there are a few things I like better than a good movie. I watch it maybe a little different. The most important part of a movie to me is the first frame and the last frame because it tells a story just in frames. I watch it for the colors. I watch it for the character development and the, how the movie progresses. One of my favorite movies is Blade Runner 2049. Just go watch Blade Runner for the colors. If nothing else, just watch it for the colors. It's beautiful. I can't wait for Dune 2 to come out, right? If it does not come out, because they're talking about it not coming out, I'm going to be really upset, all right? Enjoy it. Why can Christians do this? Because they know the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That's why they can do it. We enjoy life knowing there is good, the bad, the new, the perfect. Again, the hymn writer says, heaven above is softer blue and the earth around is sweeter green. And there's something lives in every hue that Christless eyes have never seen. And birds with gladder songs overflow, and earth with deeper beauty shines. Since I know, as now I know, that I am his and he is mine. If you know that you are his and he is yours, everything's better. Everything's sweeter. Life is better. Okay, last point. <laughs> Maybe I need this one. Verse 10, relax. Relax. Banish anxiety from your heart. Remove vexation if you have the ESV. That word, though, is ra'ah. It's actually the word evil in the Old Testament. Remove evil from your heart. Who is this for again? This is for young people. The preacher argues this for young people to relax. Now, some of you might be saying, wait a minute, preacher. We don't need this one. 
I don't need to tell my teenagers to relax anymore at home, right? They have a PhD in relaxing, okay? Yeah, I know what you're saying. Every point was good, Zach, except for that one. But if you talk with teens right now, you know what? Most of them will tell you they're stressed. Relationships are everywhere, never steady. Family life forsakes them. They have nowhere to plant their feet, and suicide attracts them. Young person, the Bible calls out to you today, and it says, don't, not to be careless, but to be carefree. Relax. Relax. I call out to you not to be apathetic or irresponsible, he says. I'm calling you while you are young, the preacher says. You won't always be young, so don't idolize it. Don't dread being young. Just enjoy being young. Just enjoy it. Older people, if you dread its loss, it will spoil the experience. And if you try to perpetuate its experience, you're going to look like a clown, right? Stop wearing leather jackets with spikes on them, okay? You look, you look like a clown, all right? Get, get rid of that, son. Leave it at home. This is, this is what our kids and grandkids need to hear. It's what we need to say to them. Enjoy life. Be happy. Relax. But one thing before you go, this is it. I'm closing with this. Don't forget you have finals. Don't forget you have finals. Live life to the fullest with every parameter God has set. Enjoy your friendships. Enjoy the movie. Every experience, live life, grab it by the reins, young person. Old person, remember the life you had, but don't wish those days back. Don't intend to relive those days in your retirement. Why? Because you got finals. You got finals. What's he say in verse 9? But know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. I'll leave you with this dilemma. The final conclusion here is not cheeriness. It's not courage. The final charge we must ask the questions about is what standard will this judge judge us? By what standard? Who is the grading the finals? Which commandments are the best? What did the young rich man say? What must I do to inherit eternal life? You have spoken of this temporal life in light of the future. And you might say, I've tried to keep the commandments to fulfill my duty. I realize that I have fallen short. How can I meet this creator of mine for the finals knowing I'm unprepared? Every one of us in this room are unprepared to meet the creator. How are you going to meet him? How are you going to meet him? The answer is that God has come to you and met you in the person of Christ. He has not only met you, but he kept the law perfectly. He lived the life you couldn't live, and he bore the punishment of death you deserved so that you might find life that is really life. Tim Keller gives us this quote, you are more wicked than you ever dared believe, and yet you are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than you ever dared hope. What? Does anyone know a VC? the artist of Isi. Uh, I think it was Norwegian. I could be wrong on that. Um, in 2014, he had the uh, most streamed song in the world for a, year, for a year running. And ever since then, all his songs have been pretty popular. In 2018, though, he committed suicide. His name was Avisi. Uh, this was his, was his artist name. One of his songs is one of my favorites. It's called The Nights. The Nights. Let me I'm, I'm going to read this for you. It says, one day you'll leave this world behind, so live a life you will remember. My father told me when I was just a child, these are the nights that never die. One day you'll leave this world behind, so live a life you will remember. This is what the, this is what the preacher tells us to do. Live life to the fullest. 
But one day there will be judgment and you'll leave this world behind. Are you enjoying life? Do people around you think they are on an adventure? Have the clouds stopped you from moving forward? Does the watching world say, now there is a life to its fullest? Is YOLO hollow? Only you can answer that. I can't do that for you. The Bible doesn't clear you to act like a cat with nine lives, but it has given you one life to live. Celebrate it. Celebrate it. And so what I want to do, this is my last thing. I want to encourage you, because I feel like this is exactly what me and Morgan are doing. We're going into a dying church, and it's, sometimes it's a slow-moving process to love the people there. And I'm calling on anyone who wants to go with us, with the blessing of Tribe Baptist Church, to join us on this endeavor to reach Southside, Winston-Salem. To love the people at Griffith Baptist Church and to partner with us to see his kingdom come. Let's pray. Father, help us not to be stifled by our investments. Father, we can be such... (laughs) miserable representations of of the vitality that you have given us in life. Worried about the columns of a newspaper, afraid to cast our bread upon the water, wasting our talents as the clouds go by. Father, may the word of God break upon us and speak. Speak to us. Come on. Go for it. Diversify. Stick with it. Enjoy. Be happy. Relax. But remember, in the days that you have, there will be finals. In your son's name, amen.